Welcome, witches and ghouls. We are pleased to say that we are part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast network and family. Morbidly Beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news, reviews, editorials, and more. Morbidly Beautiful supports everyone in the horror community from special effects artists, indie filmmakers, writers, women, LGBTQ folks, and so much more. And we are so happy to be part of the spooky team. Please go to morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more. And now on with the show. Welcome to I Spit on Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where I put down my bloody dinny needles and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. It's Spinster's Choice for this episode, and Jess has chosen to talk about one of her favorite films, Reanimator. So pick your poison and listen on, if you dare. So Jess, Spinster's Choice, why did you choose Reanimator? Oh well, this has been an interesting month for me, everyone, because um, I've had a, I've had to have a lot of thoughts around this film. And when I first initially chose it, when Kelly and I planned our, you know, f- six months um, that we do every year, I was like, yes, we're gonna do Reanimator. I'm so excited to talk about like a fun movie like Reanimator. It's so much fun. I love the music. I love Jeffrey Combs. Like I love everything about this film. And then I started watching this film, and it's, and it's not that I don't still love this film, but I've got a lot of questions around it and a lot of things I want to talk about. But also too, it ended up being a really interesting month because of I ended up thinking about a lot of like death and dying and immortality and I was like okay (laughs) this is all kind of lining up really nicely so I think I chose this first of all just to have a fun time talking about a movie and then I'm like hey let's talk about death and dying well that was Kelly being like let's talk death and dying like yeah let's do that (laughs) hey man I just go where my mind takes me and immortality death dying it's usually where it ends up so yeah perfect right Herbert West is at the top of his class in medical school. How can you teach such dribble? These people are here to learn and you're closing their minds before they even have a chance. What are He's you? brilliant, but a little weird. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've conquered brain death. His experiments have always been unorthodox. It was dead. I but lately they're getting on his hands. <laughs> just made a discovery that could wake up the dead. Herbert West has affected reanimation in dead animal tissue. What are you thinking? How do you feel? You? 15 cc's of reagent being administered. Once you wake up the dead, you've got a real mess on your hands. Dead? Not anymore. 
Herbert West brought a lot of dead people back to life, and not one of them showed any appreciation. H.P. Lovecraft's classic tale of horror, Reanimator. Mr. West. You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head get a job in a sideshow? It will scare you to pieces. All right. Well, talking about the film, The Reanimator, what is your story around that? Because I don't either remember or know, really. Uh, well, actually, this is a story that is very similar to every other story that I've ever said. <laughs> Kelly introduced me to this film. Oh, Jesus. This is, yeah, this is oh. a, a film that you and I watched together in my first year here in Ottawa, when I was living in Ottawa. And I, I, I remember, too, because I had, you had brought it as some choices. And I was okay. like, oh, well, I like Lovecraft, so right. I want to I wanna see I want to see this. And you showed that to me, and that's when I was like, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. I couldn't tell you the first first time that I actually watched Reanimator. So that was, that's going back quite a ways, maybe over a decade ago. Yeah. Maybe 15 years ago when I first saw it. I'm not exactly sure because I never owned it. I don't think unless I got, I wasn't able to get it from my quote split up slash divorce yeah. that I'm calling it. Yeah. But I might've had to leave that to the, the, the old partner, but I don't know. It's just, I know that it's just been in my life for a long, long time. I've seen it many, many times. <laughs> so what do you like about it? So what I like about this movie is uh, I love the music. The Charles Band score, even though it does like sound like a ripoff of a psycho score and stuff like that, I still yep. love it. It just like every time you start the movie and yep. you get those like images, like the anatomical images, and you're like, doom, 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 doom. You're like, you just get so excited. Yep. Um, yep. I love the cinematography. The dialogue. I love every single line that comes out of Herbert's West mouth. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh just yes, everything. Yep. I just such a great character, especially because like of his character is very different from the story. But I just. I love the dialogue. I love uh, being introduced to Barbara Crampton and learning more about her this month has been really interesting. And then, of course, my secret crush on Jeffrey Combs was developed, which is really interesting because when the first time I saw the film, I had a crush on Bruce Abbott, uh, who played Dan oh, Kane. Yes. I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. he's totally yeah. totally my type. But the thing is, though, is like yeah. I found him annoying and I just wanted him to shut up in the film half the time. Whereas like everything yeah. that Herbert West would say, like Jeffrey Combs, I'd be like... <laughs> please say more, please talk more, please give us some more snappy lines. And then, yeah, and then from then on, I've, like, jumped into all kinds of other films that have been done by uh, Full Moon Pictures, Empire, and followed more of Jeffrey mm-hmm. Combs' career. So, yeah, there's a lot of, I like about this film. Excellent. I also like a lot of those same things. The cast is awesome. The premise is really cool. The score, I'll take a Richard Band score any day, any day. Love that man. He's adorable. Pacing is really great. It's just like a really fun, enjoyable movie. Medical surgical horror, mm-hmm. which I realized that, you know, after us talking about like rabbit and surgical horror and stuff like that, I was like, no, yeah. I'm into this. Forgot that it is uh, some medical horror, which I, I, I always enjoy as a medical person. So it's just a splatterific, 
fun time and from it's the 80s everything's fun so it's there's like it's just a blast to watch it's always just uh it's always fun to revisit it and i'm glad that i was able to do this for spencer's choice yeah, same here like i said 1985 pinnacle of 80s horror right there yeah. So what do you dislike about this film? I dislike the rapey sexual assault that happens in this yep. movie. Yeah. <laughs> Men are creeps, yep. but that is not news. Was it news in 1985? It's not news now in 2021. Unfortunately, men are creeps. Um, do better, men. Um, but yeah, the sexual assault. It's very, it's highly unpleasant. It doesn't take away from my overall enjoyment of the movie because I like a lot of movies that have that unfortunate element to it. But, you know, if I have to choose a dislike, that's just just unsettling to watch. And as a woman, it just makes me a little queasy. Yeah, it's just, a, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's a, a scene that was very uncomfortable when I first watched it. I first saw it and I was like, whoa, this is actually happening. Wow, it's happening. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a scene that I usually kind of just like, skip through when it comes up because I'm just like I have no interest in this it's not necessary mm -hmm. but that's kind of like the same dislike for me I actually also is there anything else that you dislike in it no 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 uh for me so yeah that scene as well and I I don't like the character of Dr. Hill. Uh, I don't think he's a necessary element to the story, like in the sense mm -hmm. of like trying to give us like that bad guy, like that, yeah. you know, Herbert yeah. West having an enemy who's also a neurosurgeon and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Just because yeah. I know the background of the stories and stuff like that and just being like, yeah, he's a very unnecessary element. And he's also very uncomfortable the way he is mm -hmm. towards Megan the whole time. And I just feel mm -hmm. like the film is to me starts to fall apart at the end but i also know that's where people really like it they like the the fact that it goes like chaotic with all like the gore and the mm -hmm. special effects and stuff like that when they go that dr hale storyline yeah yeah then all of a sudden all the bodies rise from the dead and yeah. it's chaos and shit's happening and people are dying and yeah it's fine <laughs> <laughs> if he is going to be my agent of chaos i'm in fair enough fair enough <laughs> <laughs> Unnecessary, I agree. Yeah. But Agent of Chaos, horns. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into talking about the movie itself, you know, the film, the actors, and Stuart Gordon as well. So, interesting enough, uh, in October 18th, 2020, this film celebrated its 35th anniversary. So now it's mm -hmm. obviously going to uh, gonna be 36 years, but this film um, was given to Stuart Gordon, but it's like a reanimator that was vastly different from the 1922 source material which is what this uh, movie is based off of and Kelly and I will talk about this later in the podcast because the film itself is seen a little bit as obscene and perverse but that mm -hmm. to me and I we, I, I, I haven't talked about it I've talked about it in something I've written but I'm talking mm -hmm, about it now mm -hmm. this is something that is part of the 80s genre of horror you know the more obscene yes. the more perverse the more people are loving it oh yeah so what was really interesting is that Stuart Gordon he originally wanted to do a 13 part TV series based on this uh, story but no mm -hmm, one had any mm -hmm. interest in it like he wanted to mm -hmm. do like a weekly horror show you know that was gonna have a really good budget but like money was tight couldn't do anything people weren't really interested so he cut a deal with Charles Band, who uh, Kelly knows quite a bit about, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I realized like <sighs> sitting back and looking at my bookshelf, I'm like, oh man, I have this massive book about Charles Band and Empire called Empire of the Bees, and like, oh man, I haven't brought this out in so long since the Sin and Tonic days. Yeah, folks, Sin and Tonic was an old YouTube drunk full moon Empire show that I had, and so I got this book 
for free from uh, a friend of Charles Band. So it's a great book that goes through like the whole history of Empire and then developing into Full Moon Pictures and Charles Band, Richard Band, and all the movies that they did. So there's a bunch on Reanimator, a bunch on Stuart Gordon because Stuart Gordon did a lot of movies through. Yeah through Full Moon, through Empire. So it was great to learn, yes, about the fact that he wanted it to be a series, but so a little bit of history on that, which is really interesting. So Brian Usna, who's also a portion of this movie, he uh, also is like an awesome combination of talents. Stuart Gordon, Brian Usna, the Band Brothers, which I call them Charles Band and Richard Band. <laughs> so Brian Usna met Albert Band, who is the Charles's uh, father, RIP, over at Empire Pictures because he wanted to produce films. Um, so, so to help Charles Band with some of his finances, because Empire wasn't doing that great. Full Moon isn't really doing that great. Like, there's always like a constant financial struggle because of the type of movies that they like to produce and direct and put out. Also, they like to put out a lot of movies very quickly. That's kind of just like the Charles Band way. Yeah. Whether you're into it or not, that's kind of how he works. So to help Charles Band with his finances, Brian Yuzna would use, wanted to use Empire's production facilities for this new project he had planned because he was going to work with, like you said, Stuart Gordon to create a modern update of that short story from H.P. Lovecraft. So initially, Charles Band had the rights to distribute the movie. No longer does, which is why it's not a part of Empire anymore, nor would it be included in this really big, massive, awesome box set that's super expensive that I really want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we reanimated, though it was done with their facilities, with some of their money and all of those people. It is not their movie. There apparently was a big, a bitter five-year dispute. Oh, wow, really? And it settled in Brian Usen's favor. So he actually owns the right to the movie. Oh, I did mm-hmm. not know that. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes it, yeah, so interesting. And, and people who are familiar, like Kelly said, with Brian Usen's work, if anyone's have seen like Society uh, from Beyond uh, and Bride of Reanimator, it's he has a very like very sh- like schlocky style. Like mm-hmm. when they did this film, they were saying they came about it with that they wanted that shock sensibility of Evil Dead, but with the mm-hmm. production values of The Howling with the special effects. But they mm-hmm. had a very small budget, so they had to get really creative. And yeah, it was really yeah. interesting finding out how uh, for all the like the corpses and stuff like that to cover their genitals, they used hand hamburger minced hamburger instead of latex and I was like watching the movie That's disgusting yeah I was like when I was watching the movie after I learned that information I was like trying to like figure it out I'm like do I see a difference does that look like latex or <laughs> minced meat on your genitals because <laughs> ew also can I just say that if we're looking for hamburger meat to look like male genitals well, it was supposed to you like- don't have to look that far. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. That's disgusting. And that is a fun fact that I did not know. And now I want to rewatch it so I can also catch the, the burger genitals. <laughs> right? I, on, the, on the dead corpses, what they had, they used about like 24 gallons of blood on the, in the very, awesome. in the chaotic morgue yes. scene. Because they wanted, they, the film was all about being like, you know, with the gorier, the merrier ethos of the 80s, yes, like the absolutely. more special effects, the more blood, the everything. Yep. That's why we get that crazy scene in Reanimator when, you know, spoiler to everyone, when Herbert and uh, Dan go to rescue Meg and they're fighting all these zombie, these corpses, reanimated corpses are fighting them. Absolutely. And during the pandemic, actually watched The Dentist 1 and The Dentist 2, which Brian Usen had directed. And okay. holy moly. Yes, the the kind of schlocky, weird. He's got like a very like dark sense of humor, sometimes a very dry sense of humor. And 
I love those movies. They're super fun. I highly recommend folks watching them. If you have any kind of like a dental teeth kind of like <laughs> fear or discomfort, which I have, there's such wonderful special practical effects in those movies yeah. that it's highly uncomfortable. Like a lot of drilling scenes, like oh, drilling out teeth no. and like it's horrific. No. But it's just like, it's kind of bonkers. So it's super fun. They're on Tubi TV if you want to watch them, obviously. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> and I have... I want to say too, because again, I love Full Moon Pictures. I love Empire. So Charles Band in during the '80s in Empire, they did they released Troll, they released Ghoulies. Like that was the company that had these movies. And then Full Moon Pictures, folks, folks, Full Moon Pictures. <laughs> I don't. There's so many things that I could say. There's so many wacky, ridiculous movies. Also, have to tell like Doctor Mordred. Oh, oh my god. goodness. Oh my god. Okay, Ooh. so we can get into our beloved cast. Yeah, from yeah. Reanimator, but. That movie is so wonderfully cheesy. And again, I want us to rewatch it, Jess. Jess and I watched it together. Dr. Mordred is like your Dr. Strange, but full moon style. That was like very early on in the pandemic when we watched it. It was. So it's really been like a year. I think it's due for a rewatch. Also, Jeffrey Combs. (laughs) Holy moly. Goodness. Just okay. So which again, which is the movie where he has that magnificent beard? Because I'm putting it at the top of my watch list just for the beard. Oh my goodness. Lurking fear. So, yeah, so Jeffrey Combs, <laughs> if anyone's read my monthly pick already, I talk about my little crush on him and how yeah. he's done tons of H.B. Lovecraft adaptations. He mm-hmm. has done, like, I think it was like nine or 11, I said he's done, but he's done a lot. Many. He's done yes. many, and he's done, and he, and he often does pe- appear in full moon features. Yeah. Close relationship with him. And he's also, like, if anyone else has recognized him, if anyone's like me in, like, Star Trek, he's been in Star Trek a lot. He's done a lot mm-hmm. of, he's a really great character actor. He was in yeah. DS9, Enterprise, Voyager. I always recognize him right away. And he is just, like, a multi-talented actor. He can, he's done mm-hmm. so many different genres. Like, not only just, like, horror and sci-fi, but drama, comedy, fantasy, action thrillers, yeah. family films, westerns, romance. And he, like, he just has such a passion for acting and his and his work that like people have described how expressive his skills are and how like I never realized this and I want to watch this in films that I've seen him in but he changes his voice in every film that he does to make it like mm. bring this character to life and this is why he actually does a lot of um, voice acting for reanimated films and video mm. games mm-hmm. so it was really interesting to find out but oh yes <laughs> <laughs> he is fabulous I love so much that he just owns it like he's like yeah I'm a character actor I I have been in tons of these like B movies none of these big blockbusters none of these very rarely any kind of like mainstream hits and I love that I love when actors or directors producers whatever they just love film so much that they they just want to create they want to act they just want to be out there and I love that he owns it and I was thinking I was like man I would love for this cast to come for Horrorama one day because that would be amazing. I Ugh. feel like that is definitely doable. So I would love that. And Jeffrey Coombs is one of many pretty prominent actors that got their start in mm-hmm. Empire Pictures. So we had Helen Hunt, who had her first roles in Trancers 1 through 3, which I'm a big fan of. I love Trancers. Uh, Demi Moore in Parasite. Viggo Mortensen was in this film called Prison, which is also a Rennie Harlan film, who did My Favorite Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4. Yeah. And again, Jeffrey Coombs in Reanimator, From Beyond, Cellar Dweller, Robot Jocks, and then into Full Moon, he did The Pit and the Pendulum, Dr. Mordred, Castle Freak, and then... And 
Barbara Crampton. Yes. She was in two. She was in Reanimator and From Beyond. But she also, I feel like, is one of those owns the fact that she's in a lot more of like lower budget indie films. And like she has been in obviously higher production, higher budget films. Mm-hmm. But she also owns the fact that, you know, she loves her craft. She loves film and loves acting that she is OK with being recognized for these films and being just in lower budget, more indie productions, which I appreciate so much. Yeah, and she was really interesting too. Yeah, she was also in Lurking, uh, sorry, Castle Freak, which is often that comes up a lot, which is another one of Jeffrey Coombs, her and Stuart Gordon, like another, like, bring them all back together again. Oh, absolutely. The dream team. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Barbara Crampton, like, this is really kind of one of those films that were part of, like, her career rising in the 80s, where she did Reanimator, Chopping Mall, which, ugh, I love Chopping Mall. Yeah, absolutely. I don't care what anyone says. I love that film. Oh, that movie is. Bonkers, Bonkers Bananas Perfection from yes. the 80s. Yes. Uh, yep. Puppet Master, which is another full moon. Like, yep. I love that. <laughs> you know, I love the first Puppet Master movie. I haven't seen all of them as well. But yeah, she did a lot of work in the 80s with like the soap opera world and stuff like that. And then she disappeared for a while. Mm -hmm. And she just kind of, and, you know, doing some more research on her, she just kind of stepped back from the industry and she decided to focus on her family and her, you know, building her life around that. And then Mm -hmm. she comes back in 2011 with her role in Your Next. Mm -hmm. And that's, boom, like this hard, this really great (laughs) film. And she has has been nonstop since. Like she is constantly doing work behind and in front of the camera. She acts, she writes, she produces. She is very outspoken about how Mm -hmm. women are, are perceived in horror. And I was reading, when I was doing more research into her, I was reading about, I read her article that she wrote about, she doesn't like being called a scream queen. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, I read about that, too. Yeah, yeah, and I thought that was so interesting. (laughs) And I hadn't, like, really, like, I've always heard about the phrase before, like, people take the mantle of the scream queen and being like, you know, this is right. But when I read her article about that, I was like, this is really interesting. I didn't think that. And so... She wrote this in 2016, uh, Don't Call Me a Scream Queen, and it was for birth, death, and movies and online. I'll, we'll link it in the show notes, but I really like, I'll quote from what she says that, this moniker of Scream Queen is limiting in description and also limiting in its ability to reveal that these actresses are more than the sum of the strain of their vocal cords. For mm-hmm. many like myself, as has cemented a career in a beloved genre, yet for some of it, has also reduced the roles that are offered to, in other genres, having been pigeonholed them to one sort of film work. So, like, mm-hmm. she has embraced her return to horror, and she's kind of, like, yeah. people kind of see her as, like, a matriarch in the horror genre, because mm-hmm. she's always out there helping young actresses, always talking to new filmmakers about how to create more roles for women, not just in front of the camera, but also behind the camera. And, like, she's mm-hmm. done so much more since then, like, Puppet Master, The Littlest, the Littlest Reich, she did Reborn, Dead Night, We Are Still Here, which was really good, Dead House, mm-hmm. Channel Zero, she just recently did Jacob's Wife, which just came out. So, yeah, like... Reanimator yeah. launched a lot of these great careers of some really great actors. Absolutely. Yeah. I read a couple of those articles too. And I liked what she said too. Here I have a, another quote, which is similar to what she said in the, the other article. So she had mentioned that the idea of the scream queen or just that term, you know, just using yeah. that label was condescending. And so somebody had asked her like, what's the most condescending thing about that term? And she said, I think it's reductive. It puts the performance in a place on a shelf, like you were saying. And I think 
think it has an undertone, a quality, the terminology that is potentially a little misogynistic and pigeonholes you into being representative of a woman who's screaming and who's in fear and who doesn't have her own strength. Yeah. Which I totally get it. I don't often use the term scream queen. I don't think I've used it in a long, like a really no. long time. I end up using more of like the final girl. Yeah. Because that is more of like an, an academic place to be. And that's something I can understand. I think scream queen was just some like random term that just started getting thrown around in the 80s yes. that nobody really thought about because yeah there was a lot of women screaming in the 80s and sometimes you know often it was our final girls but I feel like final girl is just is a much more powerful way to look at those characters and the term itself final girl is is a little bit more empowering a little bit more strength in that so I get it but I never would have thought of her as a scream queen yeah you she's- know like, well, she had said no. that in the 80s when she was, you know, first getting her, her rise yeah. of fame there that, yeah. you know, yeah, she was in a lot of films that required her to scream a lot. Like, yeah, she screams yeah. a lot in Reanimator. She screams a That's lot in true. Shopping Mall. Yeah. But, yeah. That, well, like, but like you said, that was something that they would give women be like, you are the new Scream Queen. And I think like the first yeah. original Scream Queen was from uh, Wes Craven's Last House on the Left was what I was researching, that mm. uh, character. And then it got re, then it got changed over to Jamie Lee Curtis as yes. the new Scream yeah. Queen. And then it carried on in the 80s. But like what Barbara Cranston said, though, it's like it's literally just saying like a woman's only good in a horror movie if she can scream really well. Yes, exactly. And which in itself is like, yeah, condescending to a, a beloved genre. Absolutely. Because a lot of these women are some of our absolute favorite characters and we know that they are more than just women that scream. Like yeah. I would even like totally forgot. I literally just watched Reanimator. Yeah, she does scream a lot in that, but that's not was like didn't come to the front of my mind about you know her performance and what was going on especially with a lot of those women it's everything else that comes along with that strong character that we see instead of just a screaming so yeah I love that she is keeping this kind of conversation going and having this dialogue about just like changing how we look at at women in horror because they have come a long way and there's a lot of very very interesting complex great roles for women in horror when the there's not those types of roles anywhere else. So exactly, I 100% agree. So uh, one of my last points I wanted to say about the film in general that people were surprised that it was as successful as it was. So when this film was released, it actually received praise from Roger Ebert, which oh boy, back then would have been a big deal for a horror movie because yeah, because there's so much blood and gore and a viscera and it's kind of perverse, <laughs> you know, with the scene and everything's happening. Yeah. Like it's it's schlocky as fuck, guys. But yeah. Absolutely. It was interesting that Roger Ebert had given it such high praise when the year before he criticized Friday the 13th, the final chapter, for how offensive he found the violence was in it. But he gave, Mm -hmm. but his praise gave Reanimator credibility and it still stands Mm -hmm. as a very influential horror comedy among the likes of Fright Night and Return of the Living Dead. It is taught. (laughs) Of course he's dead. The dosage was too large. You killed him. No, I did not. I gave him life. So in preparation for this episode, it was really important for me, uh, not only for Kelly to obviously watch the movie, obviously, but I wanted (laughs) her to read the short stories that this film was based off of because I know when I read the short stories that this film was based off, I had a lot of things I wanted to say and not really many people I could talk to about. Now I'm on a podcast and I I asked her to read this thing, so now we can talk about it. (laughs) Now it's all about your stupid opinion. I'm kidding. I just want to like hear what you think, like your thoughts, yeah. you know? So a long time ago on the podcast, we actually visited HP Lovecraft and the, the concept of a cosmic horror. That's going back to one of my favorite episodes from 2018. 18? Yep. 
Oh, it feels so, so long ago, but also so not that long ago. But so that's when we visited for the first time uh, the, the, yeah, the concept of a cosmic core and HP Lovecraft, because I, up until now, I have read two stories from HP Lovecraft. I read one like eight years ago that was based in a cave. I couldn't tell you what it is or what happened, but I didn't really care about it. Um, <laughs> didn't really uh, interest me. It didn't catch my interest, I guess that's better to say. Yeah. And then now I've seen, and I forgot one movie, but I've seen four adaptations. I've okay. seen Reanimator, From Beyond, Color Out of Space recently, yep. and Castle Free. So whether, the, you know, faithful or not, that's mm-hmm. I don't know because I haven't read the stories besides Reanimator now, but it's not always something that I'm super interested in. Yeah. Um, when we talked about Cosmic Horror, that the, the concept of Cosmic Horror I'm intrigued by. So this was like our next visit it that's like not like explicitly HP Lovecraft it's like yeah. a little bit dashed in again where we're like revisiting him a little bit um so I was happy to to read the story that being said I really didn't like it oh, okay. so yep. also I'm I'm hey hate the fact that I had to read it <laughs> <laughs> So I understand. So it was serialized Mm -hmm. in the 20s. It was called Herbert West, Reanimator, and the publishing company that he did it for called Homebrew, which he did it only for the money. He apparently got $5 per installment, which was, I'm sure, a lot of money in that time in the 1920s. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But like... What he had to do, and this is why I'm bringing this as I I understand that this is probably a portion of why I don't like it, Mm -hmm. is because when you're putting out a serial thing, yes, you put in like a section each and each new story, it has like the recap. But if you're sitting down to just read it back to back, which I did it in like three or four sessions because holy crap. I was like, oh, I don't need this recap. It's like watching Friday the 13th in a row. But I'm like, I don't need this 20 minute fucking recap. I literally just watched the other movie. Also, it's not that complicated. It was right there. Mm-hmm. So that's a portion that I didn't like because if I'm sitting down to read it back, you know, uh, front to back, that's it's just it's very tedious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that. And I get that I need to end on a cliffhanger. I get that it was a serialized thing. So trying to put that aside and think about it like objectively yeah also just I just didn't like it overall it ended up being really repetitive not just with the fact that it had to do recap just everything else that happens and also I have read about and heard about how racist he is yes and it is so blatantly obvious in this that mm-hmm. it was a massive massive turnoff yeah And it makes me even question, like, why are there Lovecraft, like, conventions and all of this celebration? Like, I get his influence. This is going on a bit of a tangent. Like, I get his influence on the horror genre, literature, film, and everything, and and people. But holy crap. It was deeply unsettling to read. I liked, like, it was dark dark and creepy and, like, I generally liked the premise. Because, like, that's just a premise that would be interesting to me anyways. Yeah. Reanimation of bodies and the mad scientist and you know just being so like misanthropic and just he didn't care about life and death really and Mm -hmm. or people didn't care about people whatsoever whether alive or dead Um, yeah so I liked that but yeah that's where I'll end this yes I'll end it there for now but yeah no I didn't like it I think it was super racist and very unsettling yeah so I reread this for this month as well and reading it again I definitely picked up on the highly racist elements that are in this short story novella and I could definitely see where it doesn't hold to a lot of what really people really enjoy about Lovecraft and what Lovecraft enjoyed about his own writing like he enjoyed writing about the cosmic horror and doing that element of writing he and like you said like he did this for money so he 
did not put as much work or effort into it and he's just very blatant in what he was doing so this mm-hmm. is like one of those stories that are like a perfect example where you see Lovecraft's xenophobia you see his racism and you see his discrimination towards women all throughout yeah. this story but what I like about it in the sense of it is like Kelly said it is grim you're looking at someone's obsession with conquering death or trying to create life and it's like almost like another element of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein just in a very different way and it leads into kind of like this history that we will talk about a little later about what was happening in the 18th 19th century with this whole idea of reanimation and using Mm -hmm. the electricity and stuff like that to reanimate corpses and what does that look like what is the nature of life and what is the nature of death but it, Mm -hmm. it definitely falls outside of all of Lovecraft's um more popular stories with the mm-hmm. idea of cosmic mm-hmm. horror. It's really interesting that you bring up this point about like why do you have people have such a uh, big fandom for Lovecraft? And I know like I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people who mm-hmm. are, are fans. But I've also been like asking myself these questions, being like, hey, well, I really enjoy the Cthulhu mythos, and I really enjoy this element of cosmic horror that he introduces to us, and this idea of like reanimation. But how can you know? Where do you? Where do you? take out his Mm -hmm. philosophies that influence his work and where did like where do you where do you stop and say okay Mm -hmm. like i can't support any of that but i like this Mm -hmm. and the age-old question how do you separate the artist from the art yeah and that's what one of and that's what a lot of i noticed in the last couple years a lot of people are asking especially in the academic world asking that question about lovecraft and his writings and a lot of people are like there is I actually found like there's like, this big book about like a big book, a bunch of essays, but how can you just take away uh, mm-hmm. from Lovecraft and separate him from his work and what areas can we change and where can we take this narrative and influence mm-hmm. it by, you know, adding in the things that he wrote really horribly about right you know Lovecraft Country is is a series that's come out they're addressing their racist elements of his work right addressing it right he's addressing their racist elements of his work uh, there's a lot more female writers who uh, who are inserting themselves into the narrative of Lovecraft's mm-hmm. work and mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. bringing out the monstrous feminine of it because when you read a lot of his work especially mm-hmm. the the Dunwich horror it's yeah. all about his fear of women and reproduction right. and stuff like that. So it's interesting oh, that boy. women are taking these stories and taking it back. So what did you think about uh, Stuart Gordon's take on Reanimator? I love the movie. So I, because yeah, we're here to like talk about the short story, but also with the con- like compare and contrast um, story to that. So and the other thing I'll say about Lovecraft is like, I actually just bought a book of his stories. I'm I'm up for checking out more because I am still very curious. It does still bother me that they're because I started reading my Rue Morgue library. I have a small book of it that is all about H.P. Lovecraft. So I revisited that. And, you know, in it, there's these um, ads for actual like H.P. Lovecraft conventions, like full conventions yeah. about it. Yeah. And though I think it's important to have the conversations about you like, yes, they're like he was really important, influential in this way, but let's talk about these yes. things. Let's have this conversation. I think that's really important. We talk about this all the time for, for stuff that we loved as kids and looking at it now in, in our lens as, as adults in 2021 and can still love it. Yeah. But let's talk about why the reasons why it's a product of its time for sure the 20s was a terrible time yes um for, yeah. for racism and all of these things sexism so many so many things i get again i get that i think it's just important to have those conversations but i am still deeply uncomfortable that there's so still so much of a celebration of it and like honestly what came to my mind about this is <sighs> joss whedon so yes. yeah 
there are conventions based on Joss Whedon's work and with current allegations and proof coming out that unfortunately he's not a great guy. And there's one called WhedonCon. They've changed the name and I forget what it is. I'm sorry. I think it's more like Mutant Enemy Con or something like that. Like yeah. they've, they've, they're changing the name. And I feel like that shows that you can celebrate work that he worked on, but we're not celebrating the man. And yes. whenever we had our Buffy episodes, it was not a celebration of Joss Whedon. It was about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that creation that he devised, right? So I think if they kind of switched that dynamic, like switch that a little bit, then I would feel more comfortable about it. Mm-hmm. More of like, let's talk about maybe have like a cosmic horror yes. convention. And that's the other thing. And I'll get back to the movie. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But I'll get back to it because there was a big Twitter conversation recently, which I was totally interested in. And it was about, can we stop calling things Lovecraftian? Yes. Yeah. Because what it, Lovecraft adaptations would be Lovecraftian because that's literally an adaptation from work that he created. So I'm fine with that. Color Out of Space, that is a Lovecraft film because that is based on his story. But cosmic horror is its own thing. Yes, that's influenced and was gently created by H.P. Lovecraft. But let's stop calling things Lovecraftian when it's actually just cosmic horror, you know? So let's take Lovecraft away. Let's also stop giving him so much credit for all these wonderful movies that aren't adaptations of his work. Let's call it cosmic horror instead. How do you feel about that, Jess? I know I feel like it's an important conversation to be having and I've been having these thoughts about this for a long time now especially when we even did our cosmic horror episode and I you know I have you know I've done research and I learned a lot about him I've been like wow this guy's a terrible guy why does he have such a like such a crazy awesome mythos and world about these cosmic horrors and the the things that truly terrify me and I was like uh and Rebecca McKendry Dr. Rebecca McKendry did an excellent awesome episode on this because she was the same in the same place as well she's like i enjoy the stories of hp lovecraft like i enjoy that horror that those elements and she had that same conversation where she's like here's what we need to start looking at the at these um authors and start saying okay i don't agree with this and so let's take it and now and she even says like let's call it cosmic horror let's call it what it is it's now a genre in itself it's not owned by this individual anymore yes and i've had to ask myself these questions again, especially this month too, when I was uh, rereading the story and being like, wow, this is like blatantly racist in this story. Ugh, I am very yeah. uncomfortable reading this, how he's describing people of color and even yeah. like, and how he, you know, and then, and then also too, like going to be released by the time this episode comes out, but I write a whole piece about how women are portrayed yeah. in Lovecraft stories, which is not much because there's only ever three women ever get mentioned in all of his mm-hmm. literature. And it's very brief and very in passing and it's not very yeah. positive. And I also look at the film adaptations and how they yes they insert women into their films but they also fall prey to their context which is what's better in a horror movie boobs naked women gore guts right and this is when a lot of these films these these adaptations were coming out in the 80s and in the in the 90s so that's when horror that's what people were looking for from that type of horror and yeah i was feeling excited about you know color attic space because here it was like a first like lovecraft adaptation where women were (sighs) positively shown in this film yeah and actually had active roles and then we have the director richard stanley being a total douche like just being a terrible man and i was just like once again you know how can we challenge these narratives so uh, yeah so anyway that's like people can read that in my blog post when that comes out but absolutely it's gonna be it's gonna be so good folks yeah so jess's new blog post when that drops is so interesting because for me as well because i haven't watched so so many of these movies and And then 
you know, Jess also has coming out on Morbidly Beautiful at some point, like a top 10 underrated Lovecraft adaptation. So it's been like a crazy big, like big Lovecraft month for you. You've been like entrenched with it. I've been entrenched in Lovecraft and really questioning my own enjoyment yeah. of his work. And yeah. like, so I'm at that point now. I'm like, yes, let's call it cosmic horror. Let's call it for what it is. And let's kind of separate from that and focus on these and these other films and that element of it. So that's where I'm at. And that's why it's like, yeah. when we started this episode, I'm just like, I love Reanimator, but also hate it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's fair. Again, I think as long as we can have those conversations, then, and that's good. So speaking of Reanimator, so yeah, like I like how grimdark the story is. So I obviously can appreciate that. That's my aesthetic. I enjoy it. But also I love camp and I love like <laughs> Reanimator is super iconic. Yes. Like the reagent, the solution is like this lime ultraviolet, like the super lime green color. And like that is iconic. Antifreeze for um, that they use. It's just, <laughs> it's so great. Like the cast is full of gore. It's lighthearted. So like, I like the grim dark stuff. I like heavy stuff, but like, I also love horror comedies and, and it took me a long time to life, like early in my like horror journey, let's say, like I didn't f- appreciate horror comedies for what they were. Like it took me a long time to really appreciate the evil dead and the evil dead Two. And, and stuff like that. It just took me a while to appreciate that. So I get that. And like, oh yeah, Jeffrey Coombs was like the most perfect casting. Perfect, perfect casting to get like, and the short stories, again, there's so much recaps in them, but you do get, I think, a good idea of who Herbert West was and the like, just like deadpan, dead eyes, <laughs> absolute just like, Tr- like all m- mad scientists, but I feel like um, Dr. Hill is actually our mad scientist. Yeah, and, you know, Herbert West is like our anti-hero because, you know, he's kind of set up to be the villain of the story, but Dr. Hill is way worse and he is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like Herbert West as a person and scientist. <laughs> well, I love how, like, yeah, Dr. Hill is portrayed as, like, the megalomaniac scientist being like, I'm going to do this and be the richest man in the world. Yeah. Ha, ha. And Herbert West yeah. is literally just an addict. He is just yes. obsessed with yeah. conquering death and controlling life. And, like, that's what yeah. Gordon wanted to portray in that film was that this was yeah. a narrative about addiction and about this classic addict who just won't stop what he's doing no matter who Working. it hurts because he yeah. always needs that next hit. And that's also seen in the short story as well. Like, yeah. Herbert West yeah. starts looking at live bodies be like, the fresher the bodies, the better. And you're like, how can we do this without murdering them? (laughs) Right? Right? How fresh is fresh? Yes. (laughs) Right? How soon can we be there? Exactly. And we see that all throughout the film as well, too. He's just like, you know, the fresher the corpse, the better. And then, you know, eventually we start seeing him starting to play with body parts and be like, oh, does a body part actually need to be connected to the head and brain to actually re-exhibit life? Oh, my God. Let's Uh. figure that out. Like, the movie, yeah, it's like super campy. Mm -hmm. It just kind of is like it just kind of bonkers as well whereas the story you know Herbert West is a little bit more methodical calculating like he's actually calculating doses he's actually doing science and medicine (laughs) whereas in the movie it's kind of just like let's just inject them with all kinds of different (laughs) volumes and let's see what happens like that's actually way more of like 18th century science than it is in 1985 this is modern like adaptation modern like revisioning of the story where it's actually a little bit back backwards and you'd be want to calculating and like based on body weight and height and stuff like that like as a science person I was like this is out of control but like this is all just very visually appealing so I don't really care but yeah. that's definitely a big uh, difference that I noticed that he's much more he's just much more scientific yeah <laughs> in, in the short story than in the movie where it's just like 
I I gave him life. You know, <laughs> I love that so line. good. Yeah, everything that comes out of his mouth is yeah, perfect. I, I agree. It's great. And then what that film and like you said, it's so campy. It's a it's a film that asks a very serious philosophical question in a very way that's yep. not taken very seriously. Where it's just like it's adding it's asking us to regard the significance of death in our culture. And Herbert yeah. West, he's looking to defeat death. Like he sees death as like the ultimate threat to human survival and takes like this next evolutionary style instinct to create this immortality project through yeah. reanimation but then this is like flawed because you can't differentiate between life and what's a appearance of life and i just think that's so fascinating because not only does that show up in our film we've actually seen this happen in real life like there's a mm-hmm. history of reanimation projects absolutely great segue jess yeah. great segue yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well like I was like, yeah, we're, we're going to have like this, you know, fun month and stuff like that. But I always thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about like these really weird reanimation projects that were coming out in like the like early 20th century, you know, inspired a lot by Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. But like this, these these people who were like obsessed or vitalists, they called themselves, where they believed that the body's nervous system, human life could be caused through non-material spirit or animal electricity. Right. And so like they had these like using ele- like electricity was new and exciting mm-hmm. and it was kind of yes. seen as like magic yeah. yes so what do we do with magic <laughs> let's bring dead things to life <laughs> <laughs> let's experiment absolutely they were so curious uh, and still figuring out so much shit back then i love reading about science and medicine from the 1800s and 1700s because it was just like i want to call it a rodeo but i hate rodeos but it was just like a whirlwind a roller coaster of crazy unethical things that were happening to animals to humans like um, so many of the anesthetics like inhalant anesthetics like ether they just practice on themselves like I wonder what would happen if I did this like because they're just like (laughs) the true scientific method hadn't been devised yet so it's just like it's just a free-for-all so yes galvanism was a thing that happened stimulation of muscles with pulses of electrical current essentially so they would like set dead bodies up in Times Square and being like look we're gonna yeah road shows maybe does it it comes back to life I don't know but like it was all just like a sideshow almost it it literally was people actually took this stuff on the road to show other people how this could happen and it was like crazy and I was just like yeah doing this research like one of the things I read about was um, a 1700 uh, Catholic priest he was also a professor of natural history History at Piva mm. University. He was Lorazzo Spallanzani. Zini. But he became obsessed with the idea of reanimating dead tissue after he <sighs> witnessed some seemingly dead microscopic life seeming to spring back to life after adding water to it. I'm just like, oh, okay. okay. Well, we yeah, okay. And so, well, we know a lot about hydration and moisture now in 2021, right? but they but didn't then. <laughs> he, he believes that he could bring yep. beings back to life, so he got some support from a famous French skeptic and atheist, Voltaire, to Ooh. guide him to help support his claims and upgrade his experiments so that he could find how he could bring mis- muscle tissue and animals back to life. So he did this by experimenting on snails, by cutting off their heads and see if they would grow back. Great. They yep. didn't. Talking about the un- unethical things, right? Remember? He, remember yeah, those times? very unethical. <laughs> Never led to discovery reanimation. However, he did lead to discovering that chemicals in the body that aid in digestion and observing white blood cells. Oh. So, so, so you know, we learned some things. <laughs> That's worthwhile. <laughs> but then you take it over back to uh, London, London, England, everyone. So 1794, you get the Royal Humane Society of London carrying out a series of experiments to restore life to those who seemed apparently dead. 
and they argue that oh. some corpses were actually not dead but suspended in animation in which they could be revived and brought back to life. And this was due to the wide fear of premature burial, which was seen as oh. proof that the soul hung around between life and death so it can be revived. And they hope to share this knowledge with the world. So methods include electricity massages, forcing liquor down the throat, or siphon tobacco smoke up the rectum. Oh, that just sounds like my weekend. (laughs) 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 What I love about that time, which is like all related to this is, so around that time, you know, science is is starting to become really interesting because religion was starting to lose its grasp on people. Science was experimenting. We have electricity and maybe starting to get like moving pictures and and stuff like that and learning more about science instead of being so damn superstitious about everything all the time. So of course they were super curious. It was like, well, now we don't really believe in souls, but like, why don't we believe in souls? And like, what actually happens? What is life? What is death? What happens? And but galvanism, of course, which we, we'd, if we're talking about galvanism, we have to talk about Luigi Galvani, who obviously it's named after. So in 1790, this was the guy this was like the kind of the main turning point and where things started happening afterwards so he ran electrical current through a frog's severed leg causing its muscles to move as it as if it was alive so that experiment of course was considered cutting edge and obviously that's kind of showing how early scientists or like you said the vitalists believe that the body's nervous system and human life was caused by like you said, animal electricity, but the electricity of it. So very, very interesting. But that also, you know, coming into modern times in our research, we learned, is that still a thing that's going on in our modern day society? Anything about reanimating corpses? Because of course we have to figure out what's going on now. So in Philadelphia, a biotech company is suggesting something called reanima, which is a proposed neuro regenerative treatment where clinically declared brain dead patients can be quote brought back to life by growing and stimulating new neurons so neurons are your little dendrite cells in your nervous system and your brain folks if you don't know anatomy and so how are they suggesting that this is done so the idea is to inject stem cells and protein building material right into the spinal cord followed by a period of nerve stimulation and laser therapy which in thought hopefully to cause newly grown neurons to reform all the connections and then eventually regain activity. Regain, sorry. Okay, side note from that, because this, again, I know more than enough about death and dying, but that doesn't take away the fact that as soon as you die, your body starts to decompose. So how are they preventing (laughs) that from happening? I guess you got to keep them cold, but they have to be really, really cold in order for that to happen. So then maybe your, this electricity and these stem cells may not work, but perhaps it's more for folks that are clinically brain dead, right? So they're, they've gone through an accident or trauma or something. They've been in a coma forever and like, they just don't have any brain activity. So maybe that would be helpful. Well, I was going to say, I was reading about that same study as well, that being launched in 2016 India, and apparently it produced positive results with patients who had suffered stroke coma, brain injuries, um, ALS, and cerebral palsy. But there is skepticism about this treatment in the medical community because it's not scientific. There's not enough scientific evidence. And there's a lot of ambiguity around what is termed in quotes, brain death. And it varies from culture to culture. So like in Japan, if a person is considered legal, a person is considered legally dead when they take their last breath. So even if they're technically still alive and their brain is still active, 
in their culture in Japan, if you have taken your last breath, you are considered dead. Whereas in the West, we only consider people dead when all brain activity ceases. So this study, like, it, 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 it raises some scientific questions, but also a lot of ethical ones. Like, at what point do we say that we want to bring someone back to life if they've gone brain dead like and are we hoping that in some way their brain will fix itself or regenerate and become something new and this is why like some circles believe that while other creatures like actual creatures out in the wild are able to regenerate parts of themselves mm-hmm. why can't the human brain regenerate or reanimate it's interesting like i get i get the appeal and the curiosity but maybe we should look into other things that are truly killing people right now. Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> COVID <right>. syndrome. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's put some science and experiments into that, shall we? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think it goes back to this whole concept of this fear of death. That, like, we are just terrified of death and dying and we Mm -hmm. you know especially during the time of the 19th century with the vitalists and you know and we've also got the revival of the spiritualism movement right that this Mm -hmm. whole idea that there is life after death and that when Mm -hmm. the body dies it is unclean it is not supposed to be in your home like all these Mm -hmm. things are happening because people are just afraid of of their mortality Mm -hmm. and I I think that's why like when we're doing this episode on reanimator and watching the films asking these questions about death and dying and then why are people why did people go to the such lengths to, to perform some very unethical experiments like we were talking there about uh, Luigi there well his son Giovanni Adelini or a nephew in some circles he was like more sadistic and morbid with his experiments you know on animals and humans especially uh, humans who are ex-convicts and stuff like that like mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. implying you know experiments on corpses and you know elect- volting them to get like just some movement of a hand and arm well that's not life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right um mm. that is just making an, a muscle move and yeah like he could have bring the nearly dead back to life and his work was a lot of the earliest evidence of using electricity for resuscitation mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. and that's and i think that's kind of what that experiment you brought up there in philadelphia the reanima experiment is like okay well they're trying to do it to bring like someone who's not fully dead back to life like if you're mm-hmm. brain dead you're not mm-hmm. dead but like we're saying mm-hmm. different cultures see death very differently it's really quite simple all life is a physical and chemical process correct It stands to reason, then, that if one could find extremely fresh specimens and recharge that chemical process, bang, we have reanimation. The theory is not new, West. But my reagent is. Reed? With various animating solutions, I have killed and brought to animated life a number of rabbits, guinea pigs, cats, and dogs. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've conquered brain death. Speaking of fear of death, I like terms. And yes, fears and death. And definitions. <laughs> definitions. I do. So thanatophobia is the fear of death. And then there's necrophobia, which is fear of the dying. Very different. And so some of the research about the fear of death. So you yourself dying. So according to some research, the uh, psychological factors that are associated with our fear of death. So FOD. So they were saying, and it's worded very oddly, but it's like in patients that don't have the following, they seem to commonly have the fear of death. So if you do not have a high self-esteem, if you do not have religious beliefs, if you are not in good health, if you do not have a good sense of fulfillment in life, you do not have intimacy with family and friends or a fighting spirit, then the fear of death seems to be common 
in those people, which I think is interesting. And so necrophobia, which is a fear of the dying. So you don't like funeral parlors, funeral homes, bodies, like um, graves, going to cemeteries, seeing corpses, like those things, not necessarily yourself. You're not afraid of yourself dying, but you're just afraid of all of those things that you can't see skeletons or skulls or, you know, you're just this whole situation. Of course, these are fears and they're phobias, so they can cause anxiety and a lot of problems like, like going to funerals for loved ones or anything to help get your affairs in order can prevent from these really important things from from happening for yourself. Yeah, all the same like anxiety signs of hyperventilating, fainting, sweating, nausea, just having this like, or I, we talked a lot about this actually about with regards to astrophobia. So a lot of these phobias, yeah. so astrophobia being the fear of space, you either are afraid of those things so you stay away from them or you're obsessed with them. Okay. So then those people are now obsessed with death, obsessed with dead things. I got a lot of skulls. Mm. <laughs> I watch a lot of horror movies. Um. <laughs> but that was really interesting to me because, um, yeah, so there's two differences. So the fear of death for yourself, maybe for loved ones, friends yeah. and family, but the necrophobia, just being afraid of the dying. Like we may, maybe not even want to go visit like grandparents because they're very old. Those places can be kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah. But what's really interesting, and there is hope for those folks and things, but what is, and which is mainly what we're gonna talk about next is how to overcome your fear of death, of your necrophobia, of your thanatophobia is to make death a part of your life. So obviously we haven't reached the state where we can become vampires and be immortal no, and live forever. No, sadly, if we can't even possibly it. fucking want to do that. <laughs> now this, this world is not that interesting. Yeah. Um, but maybe if you're a vampire, that'd be cool. Um, <laughs> but if we could get like away you said, with murder, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. They seem to get away with it. It's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they get the money and all the stealing. <laughs> I don't know. Interview the vampire. They're always living in these massive, right? massive houses. How do you afford this? <laughs> Even if you kill, for, like, the odd rich person, how are you, how do you afford that? Anyways, other thoughts, many thoughts, but <laughs> it is because we haven't been able to conquer brain death, can't keep us going on forever. And like you said, we, our life, and we talked a bit about this in our Pet cemetery episode too, about death anxiety. It's just like, because in our modern, in our, I guess, let's say Western, North American quote, modern view, death is always away from us. Yes. It used to be all around us. We were comfortable with it. Somebody died in our home and that was preferred. We want, like the Victorian times, we wanted people to die at home, surrounded by their family. And then they like washed and dressed the body and would immediately have like like flowers and, you know, food and a celebration of life. And it was like a very different outlook. And now it's so clinical. Even though I look at death clinically, it doesn't mean that it has to be so clinical yeah. in death. So just talking about death, thinking about, because we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And if the pandemic, again, has shown us anything, like, we could die at any point. Yeah. Even though we know this, we logically know this, it could happen anytime. People we know have died from COVID. Like, this is all very, actually just very relevant to yeah. what's happening in our world today, is to talk about death, figure out how you want you know, your death to go and just accepting the fact that you're going to die. And like, what, what are you actually afraid of if you are afraid of death? And so my question for you, Jess, <laughs> is are you afraid of death? Uh, actually, or no. Dying? 
I am not afraid of dying. Um, so yeah, so this month has been really interesting, like I said, talking about this film, but also like uh, earlier in one of our Spencer's meeting, you talked about Caitlin Doughty and be like, we yeah. should add her to our coven. And I was like, yeah, I remember yeah, her and her name great. has come up before. Ask the Mortician. Yeah, and I started watching all the Ask the Mortician uh, yeah. YouTube videos. I read her, I got her first book this month and I read that. Yeah. But what if I told you, you can accomplish something major in just a few hours that will make you feel youthful and refreshed costs you nothing and you can't fail at it <laughs> come on down it's time to make your death plan it wasn't until this month that I actually started thinking about how I felt about death and dying and and how I do I have a fear of death and do I have a fear of dying and I mm -hmm. think I maybe I'm a little afraid of dying of not doing everything I want to do in life but I'm not, like, terrified of it. If anything, now, after reading her book and watching her videos and learning about this death-positive movement, I've been like, no, mm -hmm. no, no, I want, I've been actually been feeling more energized to embrace things in my life. Or even, mm -hmm. like, have, like, if I start having, like, crazy thoughts of anxiety or jealousy or insecurity, I'm like, do I have time for this right now? No, I have other things I need to go do because, like... You're I can, literally dying as we speak, I'm Jess. Like, I could Don't die. fucking wait. <laughs> I could die tomorrow and... Absolutely. You know, not enjoyed the things in my life because I've been focusing too much on all these other things and yeah I've got a lot of mental health issues and yeah there's things I got to work on but I'm going to keep working on these things and I'm not going to mm -hmm. let these things overcome me because I want to when I come to the end of my life being like I lived a good life I'm good to go now. Like, yeah. It's all good. And having <laughs> yeah. these thoughts, and I never knew anything about this death positive movement until mm -hmm. I went on this journey. And yeah. Yeah. the uh, movement, like, Caitlin Doughty is a huge supporter, talks about mm -hmm. it, and is very prevalent in all the work she does. But this movement actually started with uh, Ernest Becker. And he was an American cultural anthropologist and interdisciplinary thinker and writer. And he wrote the Pulitzer Prize winning book in 1974 called The Denial of Death and arguing mm -hmm. that everything we do is a part of our human behavior is a way of trying to control our anxiety and fears around death. And also that the evil that lies in the selfishness of human beings is seeking to protect their own existence in the face of their own mortality, i.e. murders. Watch that movie this <laughs> month too. And that changed a lot of my thoughts oh, about right. death and dying. Jesus, yeah. what a month for you. What a Fine. month, right? <laughs> you know that humans are always constantly trying to pursue these immortality projects we talked yep. about that with like the you know the vitalists we you know we see these in our films you know we see that with people wanting to become vampires they want to be immortal yep. and it's because yep. in which we create or we become something that will outlast our physical time on earth so mm -hmm. this gives us the belief that our lives have to have meaning purpose or mm -hmm. be personally grander in life and oh my god i will not stress enough how much people obsess about how their life has to be part of some bigger grander thing and i'm always saying this because I, I was married to someone for 10 years who literally that's all he ever focused on was how can i be bigger in my life how can I live for grander things yeah. like just fucking live your life dude just live your and life and guess what never happened <laughs> nothing ever happened <laughs> when you stress and think about it so much you're overthinking and then you don't fucking live your life and that is a portion of, of my thoughts continue continue yeah so I was just saying like you know having a lot of these death movements and it's interesting because mm -hmm. you're saying that you know you're like oh we watch a lot of horror and I'm like yeah I watch a lot of horror but I never like just actually thought about death like it just became like a part of a thing <laughs> so I remember yeah. when I called my brother and be like hey I want to talk to you about my death and dying plan in a couple weeks or so are you down for that and he's just like what, what? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's like i thought you think about death all the time because all you do is watch horror movies i'm like actually no i don't i don't think about i'm dying think about these people yeah, dying I, i'm not dying i'm yeah. concerned about them but never really thought of them like oh i should really plan yeah. for when i when I do die or what happens because I don't mm -hmm. want my body to go to my parents and then have them to 
take mm-hmm. care of the end, take care of the end of my life in a way that's not me. You know, I want to make yeah. sure that when I leave this planet, or that I, I leave the way I lived my life. And that's with the people I love, I care about surrounding me. And also like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm contemplating having my body go to a decomposing farm. Cause I think that'd be so yeah. interesting to have people learn from my body instead of yeah. just being like, don't put me in a casket and underground that literally like especially now that I know so much about what happens about like the fact that your body just literally just turns to mush and you're just yep. you're just like a pool of your own body in this grave for how long yep. Screw that no put my body to something good exactly and yeah you brought up the death positive movement and folks there is a really great website it's called the order of the good and so the death positive movement I've known about this for years yeah. and her books have been on my wish list for a long time and I've watched her YouTube videos a lot for for years but uh, it's, it's a movement that embraces a variety of goals but generally and I'm from the website they say to break the culture of silence around death so talk about it get together and there's even prior to COVID I almost went to them but they do generally have like it's like the Toronto death positive something something yeah but they do get together regularly to talk about this and also through art innovation scholarship and like just essentially just like figuring out your own fears if you are afraid of death or you're afraid of somebody dying what it is why is it just again having that conversation because it's going to be way less terrifying if you talk about it more and you face it head on you accept it you have to accept that this is what's going to happen to you and everyone around you Mm -hmm. it's absolutely natural but also the death anxiety is natural and we get that but it's Mm -hmm. all about just accepting and talking about it a lot of this got me thinking too is that I am not afraid of death but because of my career I am surrounded by death yeah most vast majority of people do not work in a healthcare environment where they see dead bodies all the time and deal with people dying like the vast majority of our jobs and careers are not those so you might experience death like a handful of times or less in your whole lifetime. So it makes sense that, you know, it's, you're not going to understand it and you're going to be afraid of it because again, you don't understand it. Humans are afraid of things you don't understand and the unknown. And yeah, for me, cause I'm, I'm surrounded by it in my profession. Like I've seen humane euthanasias of old and sick pets, but I've also seen very devastating emergency deaths. Yeah. I've also bagged too many animals to count and put them in our freezer, which everybody likes to say is the morgue, but it's a freezer yeah. that's going to freezers. And that I've seen pets that have come in that have died at home many, many, hours prior sometimes a day okay so I have smelt death I have felt rigor mortis and not a lot of people can say that they have no I haven't had that with people but the same idea death is death is death for me so like I'm surrounded by it so I like I get it I get death you know so I understand why people like for you Jess have you literally ever been near besides your own pets like like a dead human who gone to a funeral yes. or I yes. I have been to my grandfather's funeral like he passed away thankfully in his sleep but I had been to his funeral and I remember how unnatural it felt like it just yes. felt so unnatural and being like that is not my pipe like it was an open yeah. casket funeral it was a very traditional catholic funeral and I just it, it just felt weird to me and I remember yeah. thinking being like I don't want this to be me I don't when I die right. Yeah, me too. I don't want people to cry. I want people to celebrate. I want, like, yeah, yeah people will cry because they'll miss me. And I'll, you know, of course. Obviously, Absolutely. I cry too. But, like, I want people to celebrate my life and celebrate my yes. death. Like, hey, and yeah, that's let's why. Switch it over. Yeah, switch, flip the script, essentially. Instead of it being like, it's a funeral, it's solemn and somber, blah, blah. Let's celebrate death. Yeah, it's sad that you're dead, Jess, mm-hmm. but let's celebrate. Celebrate. 
the things her in your, li- life. your life. Yeah, yeah, everything absolutely. that she's done, and like the fact yeah. that we are always yeah. obsessed with this like immortality of just trying to like yep. be bigger and greater, and we're yeah. always trying to like live longer, right? Yep. We're not supposed absolutely. to really live as long as we have, but we're always trying to live longer, <laughs> yeah. and we're not yeah. just like enjoying the lives that we have now and accepting that I could yeah. die. And I just yeah, yeah and I, like it's so interesting how learning about the death industry itself and how like all mm-hmm. of a sudden how you know death and dying is now behind closed doors like you said it's very clinical it's all done in hospitals now and this belief it's that the body is business it's right? a hugely, hugely huge sorry hugely capitalistic yeah as well and yes. like all this idea of like that that the body is dangerous Mm-hmm. And like it's not dangerous. Your body's dead. Nope. Anything that could have been dangerous that's in it, except for Ebola and the bird flu, which Caitlin Dottie's <laughs> talked about multiple times. So now I know if someone dies of Ebola, the body is dangerous. But if you didn't, yeah. it's yeah. just decomposing. It's fine. There's nothing wrong yeah. with the body now. Anything that could have lived in it that would have made it dangerous is now gone. And I thought mm-hmm. that was so interesting. Because yeah. I really think it's fascinating that all of this is really in our Western culture on like the yeah, last like 200 absolutely. years, but like yeah. other cultures outside of us have such a different relationship with death and has such different yeah. approaches to yeah. when someone does pass or when someone is passing. And I thought like, that's just so interesting to me and I mm-hmm. find it very fascinating. And yeah, so I've thought a lot about death and dying. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I really think that People romanticize life and therefore fear death, but they're also very sentimental about life, which makes them fear death. And Mm -hmm. I think I understand, like, I feel like some of that's good and bad for me. I am not sentimental and I definitely do not romanticize life. (laughs) Um, So I don't fear death. But like you and you brought it up like your ex-husband, like and, and for yourself, you're like, I want my life to have purpose and meaning. And maybe it's the cosmic horror and Lovecraft aspect. I'm just like, we are insignificant. Yeah. So that's just how that is. Yeah. And, you know, all based on like your own personal belief systems and everything. But people have so much anxiety about the future or they talk, they fear so much, especially particularly more like. Western religions, you know, it's all about the afterlife, that nobody lives their life for the now, right? Yes. They want to have, they want to like live their life so they have stories when they're older, and but they, then they worry about not having the stories mm-hmm. that they could tell when yep. they're older. I'm like, stop worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. Yes. And so, again, that's how I look at things, but it, I, I can get that it might be hard for others, but like, maybe it's not, like, just don't. <laughs> well, this whole concept of obsessing about the afterlife really came from, yep. you know, once again, Christian values of yep. you're either going to go to heaven or hell. So everything yes. you do is preparing yep. you for that afterlife. So yep. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That it's not happening now. That's later. <laughs> what's happening now yes. is what's important. Absolutely. And it's, it's sometimes I just want to shake people, but folks, again, Life is very short. We obviously aren't living together, but like this, just one year of our lives have passed, folks. And like, that was quick. Like it, it goes by quick, folks. Like in a blink of an eye, you are 60 and we don't live forever. So make the most of it. I don't have a lot of philosophies. I don't have a lot of beliefs and things, but my main life philosophies is one. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick to yourself, others, animals, or the environment. Two, get a job or a career that you love because you're going to do it for a very long time and you're spend so much of your life with it unless you want to switch it up and just like play around with stuff whatever which leads into part three of my own life philosophies there's only three do whatever the hell you want do you want to have five kids and live it up with that do it 
Do you want to be like me and move to a secluded home in Norway and become a sea witch? Do it. <laughs> the end. So literally, just live your life, yeah. relax, be a yes person, and just go with it. That is my TED Talk. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate that. And now we've arrived at Spencer's Final Thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our new sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're Spencer's, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or a good book. Yes. With a hot mug of delicious tea. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more. But what really stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky names. With Shy the 13th and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in hell. I love Croconut. And I'm currently obsessed with Screamsicle. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian listeners, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. This has been a really interesting month for me. I have had to have asked myself a lot of hard questions, not only about death and dying, as we've talked about, but also about my fandom for the work of H.P. Lovecraft, as well as my fandom for 80s horror films. All of them is still there, but they're adjusting (laughs) a bit. They're changing. The narratives are going a different way, and where I see their value in them as literary works and as film, film adaptations... Yeah, I see their value in them, but they are part of a time and place. And I just think now we're time we're at a time and place where those things are going to change and we're going to have those different narratives and we're going to insert different narratives and we're going to change things up a bit and bring what those were in, what was interesting about those elements and HP Lovecraft's work and as well as the earlier film adaptations and bring them forth into newer work that's coming out. I love the film Reanimator. I have a love-hate relationship with it. I always will. And that I've come to peace with. And I just think it was really great to take this month, this fun month, and ask myself some <laughs> fun questions, I guess you would say. Because <laughs> in a way, in, having, in taking some time and sitting back and just kind of exploring these ideas, I've been able to kind of change some of my life narratives about how I was living my life. And yeah, I'm still dealing with, you know, stress, anxiety, and depression, and some past trauma in my life. But I'm seeing, I'm, I'm taking it now with a different lens. And I'm being like, okay, let's let's look at this in a different way. And even then, when I talked to my brother about making a life and death and dying plan with him, it brought us closer together because, you know, it was this element of trust that was coming between us, but also like realizing like, hey, you know, we don't see each other much. And maybe we should make more of an effort to try and be more in each other's lives just to, you know, when we do get to a point where that could change and that may not happen. So... I think, you know, for a fun month, this was great to revisit these films and chat about the, you know, the schlockiness of him and and gush about my love of Jeffrey Combs. But I also think it was a great month to be able to sit back and ask some important questions and make some changes in my own life. One of my final thoughts is when I die, and I've said this since I was a kid, is just throw my body in a hole, please, because who cares? My parents probably don't take me seriously, but I am serious. As soon as I die, I'm starting to decompose, so please throw me in a hole. Or... Dedicate my body to body worlds, Gunther van Hagen's, plastination, so people can learn from a hot body. Or three, necrophiliacs. <laughs> Donate my body to them. I'm she will consenting. have a card. We'll have a card made up and it will say consent to necrophilia. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So like in the otherworldly cosmic horror tales of H.P. Lovecraft, humans are insignificant. And in our reality, humans are monsters. And there are no such thing as elder gods. All we have of ourselves, and that terrifies some people, but I'm absolutely fine with that. 
Also, Jeffrey Combs, call me. <laughs> and that ends our episode on Reanimator. We want to thank Dance with the Dead for our intro and outro music, Robies, and Brandon for all his work on our promotional materials. Also, to all you listeners, we want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com, Facebook, Spinsters of Horror, our Facebook coven, which is called Spinsters of Horror Coven. We're on Twitter at Horror Spinsters, Instagram at Spinsters of Horror. As well, please rate and review us on iTunes and any other podcasting app you listen to us on because it really gets the show out to new listeners. Folks, we have merch. Please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and tank tops and mugs, whatever you like, and buy stickers from our shop. And we do also have a donate button. So if you like what we do, send us a couple bucks. Next month, we're going back to the really cool, fun concept of original versus remake with Ringu from 1998 versus The Ring from 2002. Uh, (laughs) That's right, folks. It's Japanese Horror Month. Ah! Oh, God. It's going to be terrifying. Yep. (laughs) But until then, remember, the future of fear is female.